and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. I already messed it up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, Chip Zdarsky, and myself, David Brothers. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. This is the beginning of season three of Manga Explaining. So for, you know, just a little bit of housekeeping, we're a podcast that gets together once a week to discuss one or sometimes six volumes of manga, just amongst <laughs> ourselves. And our friend Chip Zdarsky is fairly new to the medium. So it's kind of introducing him to the books and to the like subculture. But at this point, he's read 50 books, so we can't call him a newbie anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, come on. So season three, we're getting deep into the weeds, and we're going to start with something I like to call violence comics, which is my favorite genre of comic book and manga. (laughs) (laughs) So to the surprise of no one, violence comics are mostly action books. They're like airport potboilers, like the manga equivalent of that kind of thing, where they're not very complex, but they're very entertaining, hopefully well-drawn or become well-drawn, as the case may be. And they usually have some kind of like wild hook or like gimmick to draw you in. It's not just like, oh, guy goes to fight. It's like, oh, guy goes to fight in an underground arena in Tokyo kind of a thing. (laughs) But I love these because first, drawings are amazing. Like it sounds really basic, but like people who can draw have been cool throughout history. And that's true also of comic books. And like great drawings of action scenes are some of my favorite things to see because it's almost like, like watching the Olympics, even though it's fake. It's like, oh, the human body can move in this way, or you can imagine this amazing scene. And the book for this week actually has a lot of that for me. It's called Ajin Demihuman. It was written for the first volume, at least, by Tsuina Miura and drawn by Gamon Sakurai, who ends up being the sole creator, aside from their assistants after volume one. Translation by podcast regular Ko Ransom. We've covered quite a few of their translations over time. When production, which I think is lettering and layout by Risa Cho and Hiroko Mizuno. So, Ajin Demihuman. Essentially a teen boy, very normal, you know, likes to study, kind of boring, has very generic set of friends, discovers that he's immortal one day when he's hit by a truck and stands back up. The trouble is, immortal people in this world are kind of hunted by the different governments and like persecuted. Like there's a bounty on their lives, they're kind of treated as curiosities and lab experiments. So he has to go on the run and he's running for his life. He discovers like maybe his friends aren't the people he thought he was. His life isn't what he thought he was. And then he gets wrapped up into what eventually becomes like a global conspiracy. And I wanted to do this because we talk about a lot of like really fancy and good books on the podcast. (laughs) Not that this isn't good, but there's like criterion collection And then there's like A24, you know, there's like different types of good, different styles of good. And this series is one like it really kind of captured my heart in a lot of different ways as time went on. So I wanted to see what the manga explaining gang had to say about it. Uh, I love that you said, uh, you know, that, you know, we're uh, recommending Criterion style works when you have recommended uh, Frank and Fran. (laughs) And Devil Man. Let's not forget Raw Hero. Let's not forget Raw Hero. Look, Criterion After Dark is maybe the most important streaming service on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's true. That's true. (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) I was like, wait, what? what, Wait, what is that? (laughs) Just all the grossest old movies. There's a lot to this book. There's like the writer change is interesting. There's an art change. And the final volume, which came out around, I think, a month ago, actually has an apology for how this series shifted after volume one. (laughs) <laughs> because volumes 2 through 17 are very different from volume 1. Wait, where's this apology in? Mm. It's in volume 17 at the are very you... end of the series yeah. as the artist kind of farewell. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. We'll get to that, I'm sure. But let's start... Let's do alphabetical order this time. We'll go Deb, then Chris, and then Chip. Deb, what did you think about Ajin Demi-Human volume 1? Well, I, I kind of disagree with you that it's not a Criterion Collection book. I think it's really good. Really? Yeah. I shouldn't yeah. sound so surprised because I yeah. like it, but yeah. <laughs> Our tastes are not that different, David. <laughs> but I think, yeah. I Once again, Deb has recommended <laughs> smut, just straight up smut on this podcast. 
I really want to hear your take now. I'm curious what worked for you and what didn't. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's really gripping. It's it's really mm. fun. I I mean, I bought volume. I had volumes one and two at home. It's it sucks you in really fast, mm-hmm. and it's interesting how it it sets up the premise. And the action scenes are really are really smart. There's a lot of really smart little twists. Um, it, rather than explaining things all along the way, it explains. It shows you in graphic detail how the demi-human re- regeneration works. Mm, yeah. And they use it to great effect. Like mm. they don't they don't explain all the rules of it. They show it to you in all the different ways that the that they they get killed, they <laughs> dismember themselves, they get smashed, they get ice like and, and then how fast they regenerate. So it's all, it's never really explained, but it's just they show it to you. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy. I mean the main character, this guy, he's you know wants to become a doctor. He's very studious and he's very honorable. Mm-hmm. And he, by the end of volume two, he still. What's kind of dazzling is that he still kind of maintains that. I I think what I really enjoyed about this, particularly in you know given you know today's climate, political climate, where you worry about I don't know surveillance culture, worry about the mm. government trying to basically manipulate public opinion. This is mm-hmm. pretty blunt about it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of like, you know, like there's that moment when the guy, when one of his classmates actually starts doing Google searches and tries to figure out what a demi-human is. And he feels, he feels sympathetic for his classmate who is now a demi-human. And then the next page mm-hmm. is just shows that the government's watching. Yeah. The government's watching and tracking the public opinion about demi-humans. And now this guy is marked as being subversive. So I, it's kind of, I find this book really interesting in that it reminds me of like Brave New World. Nice. You know, it kind of has like an interesting sci-fi, it has an interesting message to share, mm-hmm. as well as some dazzling scenes of gore. <laughs> it is very violent. <laughs> <laughs> Just this astounding, like, you know, you can, you can, sure, I mean, I've, I've read a bunch of samurai books and I've, I've seen people get shot, but the inventiveness in which people get get seriously hurt <laughs> is <laughs> absolutely dazzling <laughs> yeah I, I my only my only the thing that makes me absolutely grateful is that this book is in black and white because <laughs> <laughs> if it's just in color this would be hard to stomach it's funny the netflix animation was very desaturated too is that right <laughs> yeah mm. i've been meaning to watch that <laughs> yeah that is i'm really glad you liked it because you think that I say you think. I think that there's some books where you like it, but you're not really sure how other people will take it because it's so like up your alley. Mm. So for you to say that it's gripping is really promising. Christopher, <laughs> don't <laughs> let me down. <laughs> <laughs> while Deb was while Deb was talking, I was like, "Oh man, is it going to be? Is it going to be up to me again?" <laughs> and the answer is not exactly. Mm-hmm. We got. I, I need a. I need to skip ahead a little bit. I think I need everyone to just agree that chapter one is trash. <laughs> chapter one is one of the worst things I've wow. ever read in manga. Uh, uh, it is awful. Everyone is talking in exposition all the time. The art is forced and bad. The angles are boring. Like it is the, I read that and I was like, why do people like this? Mm-hmm. And why did David recommend this? <laughs> and by the end of volume one, I was fully on board. I was fully on board for this series. I actually... I'm reading it on Azuki, and I just kept reading. I actually read 18 chapters of it because I wanted to see what happened next. Wow. The series goes through such a transformation from that first <laughs> chapter, which is it. Like, I, this is a shitty thing to say, but like, I'm glad they fired the writer. I'm glad wow. that writer isn't writing that series anymore <laughs> because that first chapter is awful. That's like, actually, I was like, what is going on? How do people like this? Like, maybe the anime fixed it or something. Yeah. But yeah, by the end of the first volume, when the artist takes over all the duties, and then by the end of the second volume, it just it just hits. It's just actually a great seinen manga. Like it's a thriller. It's got all the action and the whatever. Like it's got some cliche aspects that are a little bit X Filesy, but it does things in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. And man, that first time you see the two different shadow creatures fight the IBMs, mm-hmm. the first time you see them fight in that hospital room in Kay's sister's hospital room. That was incredible mm-hmm. action sequencing, like the the forced perspective and like the foreshortening that they used, the fluidity, like 
yeah, man. Like I actually was, I actually was almost going to put it down after the first chapter and be like, well, this is the first one I didn't read because I was shocked and it, it's free. Like it's on my, on my iPad. Yeah. I, I am shocked that that was what that is. But it, seeing what happened later where the writer, like it gradually changes from that first chapter as well in a really interesting way. Like you'll appreciate this. It's like Claremont and Lee on X-Men after the really adjectiveless is. X-Men reboot. Where it's like Claremont keeps sending in scripts and Jim Lee's like, ah, actually, I'm going to try this instead. <laughs> <laughs> and just sort of more and more stops paying attention to what's going on and drawing the parts that he's the most interested in. Mm-hmm. And so finally, the writer's like, well, if you're not going to write what I'm going to do, I'm going to leave. And it's like, oh, thank God, because the man, that chapter six turns on a dime. <laughs> so I think this is a case of. And I have more to say about this, but I think this is really a case of these are two people that did not work well together. Mm. And whatever they thought they wanted at the beginning of this, where they wanted him to draw like anime, was not what this series needed to be. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad because this would have been a rough podcast. But this is a great (laughs) manga. Like, sorry, this is not a criterion manga in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it's at least like arrow video. Like you were saying? No, it's, 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 oh, you know what it is? It's, um, oh, man. It's that perfect 80s, 90s, like VHS blockbuster <laughs> slash jumbo video tape rental. What was that production company that did Terminator before they went? Like they went, they did every 80s oh, movie before they new, went. Yeah. New World Cinema. It was like New World. <laughs> Canon? That, Canon. Got, Canon. Yeah. It was Canon. Canon. It was Canon. <laughs> so it's like that. But like, that's better than that, I think. But like, and it, the, the level it maintains and the way, places it goes to. Man, I, I I could keep talking, but I'm not gonna. I think it was I think it is a good manga that I almost stopped reading after the first chapter. So if you yeah. are someone who picked up Agent and were like, what are people going on about? <laughs> man, the change the change between the first chapter and the last chapter and then into volume two and volume three, I guess, is huge. Yeah. Looking at the first page and the last page is really funny, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's it is funny. <laughs> They draw him like he's the storyboarded anime version of himself in the first chapter. And then by the end, it's like, oh, he's kind of a weirdo. He's got like a too big forehead and he's got a like more interesting face. And he's drawing him like he wants to draw caricature and people like how he would naturally draw as opposed to trying to fit this mold. Yeah, that's weird. Never. I've never really seen that kind of change in a manga before where you're draw you start out drawing in a company style that your editor wants you to do and then graduate to your own style. Usually people just like evolve over the telling of a story, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that that's really interesting, whether it's like American comics with Chris Bacalo, like doing that generation X and using the opportunity to actually let loose and draw the way he wants to draw. And then when he comes back to when he did the generation next, the age of apocalypse crossover, the four issue, like all of a sudden, like one month, the art changes so much, you know, from, from issue to issue. And then he comes back and he's just a totally different artist. And I, you know, people hated it. People loved it, whatever. I loved it. But Oh My Goddess is the other one that I think of. Oh, where yeah. You look at the first, the first yeah. couple volumes of Oh My Goddess from back in the day and where he ended up as an artist. And it's like while drawing that series, he figured out what Moe was and then started drawing that way to become a template for every other artist to draw manga. Like you look at that first chapter and the last chapter and it's just like a, it's almost a different artist. I, I could keep going. But like I said, good stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks right. for letting me read this one. This was great. Yeah, you're welcome. First, first, I, I just got to say that this is not an artist who tried to work in a style and then changed styles. This is actually just the most aggressive evolution of an artist I've ever seen. Because if you look at the early pages, they are there are bad, bad drawings in it. Like, just bad drawings. Mm. It's not that they're trying for a style and they can't get the style. Like, I'm looking at, I mean, I'm, I'm reading it on the new comicsology, so I have no idea what page it is. <laughs> at 5%. The teacher going, perhaps you would gain ownership of it, like Hunted Prey. It is one of the worst drawings that we've seen. And that's just me randomly going to a page mm-hmm. of that professor. The, the the hatching, the size of that hand, the rendering on that hand, his face. His head is so huge. The composition, like everything on this page is bad. Yeah. So much like Chris, I thought this, the first chapter of this was definitely some of the worst comics I've ever read. Unlike mm-hmm. Chris... In my heart, I trust David so much. I just, <laughs> I knew it's got to get better, and it did. Like it was, it was wildly impressive how much better it got after that really shoehorned exposition dump. 
I, I, I really, really enjoyed volume one. I thought they were really building some really interesting stuff with the relationship between the boys and the mystery of the characters that were introduced. And then, and then weirdly, when I got into volume two, uh, I almost immediately lost interest in all of it. Like wow. as soon as they started to mm-hmm. like, not, I guess, backpedal a little bit and just start like revealing things that were counter to what happened before, even mm-hmm. just something mm-hmm. as simple as like, oh, his sister is kidnapped. Oh, yeah, we let her go. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? Uh, so wow. I, I, I found volume two. I actually ditched out of volume two. I got halfway through volume yeah. two and I was just like, I don't actually need, I don't need the re-exposition of volume two to kind of mm. re- reset the pieces up again the way I guess the artist wanted them to be. Because mm-hmm. I was actually interested in the mystery through volume one that was being set up. And then I stopped being interested in the mystery in volume two. I found a lot awesome. of it was a, a little kind of shoehorned here and there. It's funny because like reading volume one, I was just like, oh, wow, like this is like a serialized thing that feels planned. It actually felt planned. Like yeah. they <laughs> drop in, like when hat guy shows up, I'm like, oh, where are they going with this? And, you know, the guy and his assistant, that fight in the hospital, like they're clearly in the government surveillance aspect. I felt like they're really going somewhere with it. And then in volume two, I'm just like, oh, maybe they're going somewhere different, but like, it's it's kind of knocked the wind out of my sails, so I'm yeah. not, mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep going with it. But it had me hooked mm-hmm. in volume one. Like I thought it was super impressive and really beautiful action sequences. I love it. Yeah, I quite quite liked it. Any particular favorite action sequence that just blew you away, or you thought was really well done? It's you know I I, I took kind of screen grabs of like like specific pages mm. because the artist is really good at just finding angles that I just would not expect even early on is like 29 just with the friend running away it's it's just it's just a it's a weird behind angle that works so well and conveys such a sense of motion that the silhouette of it you'd be like what is that yeah but it just really works to to get the feeling of uh, of action and motion without the standard kind of superhero running pose i, mm. I quite like that or even when he was jumping to, to kick a guy and it's like the undersole of the, the shoe with all the, the, the treads on it. Something is like there's this perfect moment of the train hitting the van where the guys couldn't move. Yeah. Like it's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful frozen kind of moment. Didn't you find that the angles in that though were a little bit boring? I actually thought the train sequence, everything was right angles. Yeah, I mean, but but it, that's the payoff. Like, they kept it at right angles, and then the payoff is just this, this just the moment of impact. Like, just seeing it in like almost like a diagrammatic kind of way, I thought was really really mm. interesting. Because like, yeah, because normally if it got hit, it would just be everything exploding and the guts and all everything just like shattering. But it's yeah. just that mm-hmm. moment of impact. It's like a it's like a the train kissing it, and you you fill in what happens after. Mm. which is actually, you know, in a way, scarier. Yeah. And the sound effect is so blunt. Like the Japanese yeah. sound effect is actually hidden. It's just like go, like a hard uh, hard sound. But the drawing, like there's no there's no hope for those dudes in that van. No. <laughs> no. no. No hope. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah, the, the hospital fight scene was pretty amazing. Yeah. But again, like it's the quiet moments and how well thought out they were. Like on 173 when the sister sees the creature holding up the guard in the corner of the room, it's like, it's like a nightmare. That's so yeah. good. Yeah. I like that. I, just, I like it's that so too. well done. I really like the design of the sister too. Cause like she really stood out in a way that sometimes female characters in manga don't mm-hmm. mm. like, it's like, Oh, it's female character with blonde hair, female character with black hair. Yeah. She's and got here, like lines like, on her face and stuff. She's got really yeah. interesting features that really, uh, make her stand out like there's a lot of thought put into that character design mm. yeah the so first i'm excited that we have such a broad spectrum of opinions on this book because <laughs> that's always makes for a fun conversation because like chris i actually read this on the crunchyroll manga app back in the day years ago yeah wow. this was after it was broken it's been broken for longer than it's been released i think but <laughs> It was something where every month I would like log into this janky app just to read this comic, you know, because it was always mm. worth it. It always had some kind of payoff. 
And yeah. I think for me, the appeal was as the artist took over, they started drawing more and more things that they were interested in. So there is the clunky re-exposition in volume two, but then everything after that is just all like military otaku and chase scenes. Yeah. Like the hat character ends up like his origin story ends up being way more mundane than you would think. Like he's a little creepy in volume one. And by the end of it, it's like, oh, he's a gamer. And that's why he likes doing all this stuff. He's just like the ultimate gamer because he has infinite lives. There is there is mention of Mario Brothers at, at some point. Yeah, I'm just like I'm like, what year does this take place in? Like that guy has the aura of a very old person, but like I think he served in Vietnam and then okay. like just kind of kept kicking around. Uh, uh, but there's actually a flash a flash back in the final chapter of him like holding different controllers through the years and like it's oh wow the way it's drawn that's you can tell effect. what kinds of games they're playing. Yeah, and that's mm. the sort of thing I like seeing in the art. It's kind of like what you're saying about the quiet moments where it's if you know what they're doing, you'll get it instantly because you know, if you're playing Mario, you hold the controller one way If you're playing a shooter, you hold it a different way. Yeah. Mm. So that kind of attention to detail always kind of worked for me, but it starts as almost like action horror, like kind of like late nineties vertigo. -y. And then it just shifts to full on action comic after that and kind of sheds the horror outside of some like very creepy, like existential horror, like, you know, immor immortal people being buried alive is pretty scary, but it's not necessarily like creepy scary, you know? Yeah. Am I the only one who read who read the print version? I, yeah, I used to own 12 volumes of the print version. Oh, no. I'm so just technically I did. Because at the end of <laughs> volume two in my edition, there's a there's a chapter called File Zero Zero. The Shinya Tsukamoto yeah. incident? Yeah, the flashback. They mentioned that in volume one. Yeah, I read that one too. What did you That's all think? It's really about interesting. That? It's in it, it's in the early style. It's in this style that he was drawing the first volume in. So I don't know when it originally appeared. I was actually kind of curious about that. Yeah, it yeah. looks because it's it's credited with the writer mm. again. Mm -hmm. So I was just kind of wondering whether this was like the, you know, kind of like um, Jujutsu Kaisen has like a episode zero zero. Yeah, mm -hmm. or like a one shot or something. Yeah, like whether this was like the 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 story that was like the the pilot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for for the series, I'm not sure. What did we read that had a oh Spy X Family, a Spy Family? Yeah, had a sort of out of continuity chapter. This runs in a monthly magazine, which has a lower circulation. It's called. It runs in Good Afternoon, which is a sister publication to Afternoon, which is one of Kodansha's main seinen magazines. So that could have been, I thought when I read that, I was like, oh, this is maybe the chapter that ran, they did a special chapter to run in the main magazine to get people to pick up the, the sister publication because it's a really interesting story and maybe it was doing really well. So they commissioned an extra standalone story. But yeah, I was, when I got to that, I was like, oh, the art style is back. That's weird. Did, did he consciously do this because he's <laughs> trying to set it before the series started when this looked like this? Yeah. Or is it, is that too meta? Am I approaching this in too meta a way? I actually really, I was lukewarm on that one, but I liked it a lot better than some of the other stuff at the beginning of volume one. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had to guess, I bet it was oh yeah, chapter six that the original writer wrote and they were like, nah, but then they eventually finished the art for it. Oh, okay. Huh. Because it would make sense to reveal the hmm. history of this thing they've been talking about, like in the endless exposition, you know, eventually. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was underwhelming that they keep talking about this exposition this exposition this exp like this this really important thing that happened and it's like oh he generates more than one ghost guy like is that and then they deflate yeah. the shit out of that in volume <laughs> three yeah it's weird i don't know i thought it was like interesting but not essential i don't think it's going to turn chip's opinion around <laughs> even though he didn't read to the end of volume yeah. two but but so chip like the mystery kind of intrigue aspect to an extent and for me, it was very mm. much like the action storytelling. Deb and Christopher, what was the like? What was the hook for you? What was the one thing that stood out the most? Fine, I'll <laughs> go first. I liked that it was. I don't know. It sounds like a cop out answer. It was good comics. I know. I was listening to Chip's criticisms, and it's like, yeah, I could totally see if you were on board for what the story was in the first part that you read. The story does change pretty radically. Like, uh, oh yeah, okay, that's a good idea moment that I had. Like, where I was, I actually said out loud to the comic book, "Oh, that's a good idea." <laughs> was when it was like, oh, why are the government kidnapping these age? Like, are they just faceless bad guys that are doing terrible things to these demi humans? Right? 
And it's like, no, man, they're renting them out to pharmaceutical companies to like do testing on because they can't do human tests. But this thing is, is biologically identical to human. So it's like we can just run drugs through it and it doesn't matter. Or we're using them as crash test dummies for high-end cars. Like this idea that like we've got an unkillable non-human that will react exactly like a human that we as a government just rent out for the highest amount of money we can to line our pockets is like, oh, that's a pretty good idea, actually. Like we always talk about it's like what would happen in the real world it's like yeah of course we try to own those people like of course non-people i guess that's we have a horrible history of that as humans so tapping into that idea is deeply cynical very dark and i thought was like really good and it drives a lot of the tension in the second half where it's like yeah those guys that are the demi-humans are psychotic murderers but so is the other side (laughs) like like there's no one and you don't even kind of by the end of volume three you kind of don't even root for k anymore (laughs) which i think is fascinating that he's like the author is just like actually everyone sucks except for like the shonen protagonist we've introduced which is so funny so so good yeah that was the thing that stuck out for me is like we're just gonna keep coming up with bonkers ideas and it's not gonna be a horror book anymore but it's going to be about man's inhumanity to man. And I think that that's really like, man, after this week, it's kind of real <laughs> apropos. So just maybe, maybe it just hit right. Like maybe it, I, maybe we were talking about this. Maybe it just hit me on the right day. And Deb, how about you? Uh, very similar. I mean, I, I think what Chris is saying is like, maybe this is the right time to read this book. Mm-hmm. Like mm. dealing with like you know, misinformation and how, yeah, I mean, I'm just really struck by the, some of the themes that pop up in this book. They, they're very thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's thought-provoking, but at the same time, it's also full of, you know, just like, you know, page turns where you're like, whoa, what? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> like <laughs> these, these great page turns where you get this double page spread of something batshit happening. Like, oh, okay, I love this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I love when that, that moment happens where you're just like, it's, you're just not sure what's going on, but it, it's, I don't know, I guess it, there's enough mystery sprinkled through that I'm kind of like going, okay, what's this and how's this work? And it doesn't lose me because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. really easy for a, a book like this to get so excited by its ideas that it throws a ton of it at you and then it's hard to follow. This is reasonably mm-hmm. easy to follow. I, I, I do admit, though, that when I dug through my collection, I only had volumes one and two, which meant I kind of did like Chip. I stopped yeah. the volume two and I stopped buying them. But now I'm like, you know, being reacquainted with it again. It's like, I want to go dig in and read it. I know Comixology Unlimited and Azuki has up to volume eight. And then nice. after that, yeah. you got to pay for, for volumes nine to 17. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, I've talked about how Godanja has you by the short hairs that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to mention my favorite scene, the scene that actually sold me on the series. Like, I was kind of reading it on Crunchyroll, mm-hmm. not. I mean, mm. It's sort of like a Netflix style manga service, so it was for free in quotation marks. Yeah, and so I just kind of kept up with it until page one fifteen of volume two, mm. when Hat finally kind of starts off with an action scene, like his big moment. Because mm. there's this thing in manga where, like in Dragon Ball, there's like the Goku Krillin fight and Yu Yu Hakusho. There's everything after volume two where the series turns. And you realize like, oh, mm. this is what the artist wanted to do the entire time. And this sequence of Hat infiltrating the testing facility is so lovingly and creatively rendered that I'm like, oh, this is why they wanted to do this book. Like doing these kinds of scenes, this kind of action. Because one thing we haven't mentioned is that. (laughs) Yeah, that that was the moment. Like, So Ajin reconstitute themselves when they're killed. So if they're hurt, if Mm. they kill themselves, they come right back to life in like perfect shape. So essentially, a guy rushes where they're experimenting on other demi-humans with a bunch of guns and gets shot. Like at one point, he cuts his arm off and keeps shooting. And when they shoot him with a tranquilizer, he shoots himself in the head. And as he's falling, he comes back to life and then keeps shooting. And that was the moment where I was yeah. like, ah, man, like they got me. Like I'm <laughs> yeah. from yeah. here on out. <laughs> yeah. That sequence, that whole sequence was mm-hmm. fantastic. That, that's actually what really convinced me yeah. as well, where I was just like, oh, he's not just change the style radically, but wants to do something with mm-hmm. it as well that ben- is benefited by his change in artistic. Yeah. It's funny, I'm just flipping through it right now, and like the arm chopping thing is amazing. 
the look on his face too. Yeah. Like <laughs> Yeah. Just perfect. He always looks what is it, bemused? Yeah, yeah. So good. And this is sort of the direction of the series after this is like bonkers. It's like John Wick every month, essentially, with yeah. interludes to explain mm-hmm. what just happened. But there are all these. I don't know. It's nice to read a series like this, like Deb was saying, where it's like a little bit thought provoking. It's a little bit creepy, a little bit scary, but mostly like it never stops moving forward. Like I never felt like, oh, mm. they stayed too long in the woods or he stayed too long in prison or something like that. The only story that really dragged for me was the spoilers. One bro. Shot. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I read a little ahead a little bit just to see what was going on, I guess, before I, I didn't, I read the wiki, just the plot of the mm-hmm. wiki. And it was just like, Oh, they really are. It really is forward momentum. The stuff they set up in volume two and volume three isn't just, <laughs> I think we used really, really early on. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or not. So I apologize if it was a real person <laughs> in real life. Or something I watched, but it was like the idea of strife in X Force. I'm going all in on Marvel. <laughs> oh, jeez! <laughs> For like ten issues, he's just sitting there in the dark, like fingers poised, like Mister Burns, going, "My plans are coming together." And it's like there was never any plan. <laughs> you like Leefield had no idea what he was going to do with strife. He just made it up on the spot when he's like, "Actually, he's a clone of Cable or the Vice Versa or yeah. whatever." Like there was never any plan for that kind of thing. And that's exactly what I thought was going on here, especially when I read the the thing that you linked me, the, the the apology from the last one, where it's like, we want to make it up where we go along. And it's like, oh, but he does. He keeps committing. He keeps inventing crazier things that are going to happen and then committing to the bit and then goes to the next thing and commits to that. And that's the maybe that energy is the thing I, I actually respond to the most, because there's also like I really liked this, but there's huge problems <laughs> with this. But that energy where he's just like, yeah, we're going to come up with a crazy thing and we're going to go all in. Like, we're not going to half-ass it and then we're going to go to the next thing and commit to that as well. You don't see that in a lot of manga, especially not ones that go on for 17 volumes. You know what I mean? Like, that's awesome. It feels like a success. Real... It it must be a success because he just keeps going, right? Like, until you stop and question it, you're probably fine. Yeah. (laughs) But I will say art was... there's. I was really enjoying... The sequence where they're hiding he's hiding with the doctor that hates him and the doctor that likes him in the lab and he puts his hand around the corner so that the doctor can see like the the, that sato can see sato sorry can see just his finger sticking out he's like oh i'm gonna come around the corner and get him and then he turns around the corner and it's just fingers he's cut his own fingers off to lure him around the corner as a trap (laughs) genius level idea and then it cuts to a worm's eye view and it shows sato coming around the corner and k is up above him and he's got the knife and he's going to come down on him from above it is a really slightly experimental but really ambitious shot and he doesn't do it he can't figure out the perspective correctly (laughs) for where k's feet should be in relation to where sato's head is and it's like man you went for that and it's not right yeah like I looked at it and I was like, ah, oh, he didn't. Oh man, he could have sold that so well. <laughs> and the the next couple panels where he they change it from above where he's actually going downwards, that's actually really good. But like the perspective, just he can't quite nail the three point perspective, and it's an art problem. But he does so many other things with such confidence and so well, and he just keeps going right. Like it's not like he really milked. Like that was a good shot, but and they slowed down time a lot there. But it's like. Yeah, it was one shot and he just goes on to the next thing and he draws that pretty good and he draws the next one and it's awesome. Yeah. So that was the thing where it was like, yeah, if you really, if you are picky about your comics, like <laughs> apparently Mr. Zdarsky is, <laughs> you're going to bounce off some stuff. You're going to find some stuff here that are like, oh, that's not, that's maybe not working out. First of uh, all, my problems were the same problems that you had in the first <laughs> chapter. I'm sorry. La, la, la. I don't know what you're talking about. I said about. it was great. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, on. I know. I'm just being a jerk. I'm just being a jerk who loves right. you. Is that what jerks do? Mm, apparently. Yeah. That's <laughs> apparently that's stupid. Now you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh. I uh I want to read a three. little bit of this afterward that we've talked about. Oh yeah, yeah. There because it's super good. I'm mm. not gonna read the entire thing, but just a yeah. paragraph or so. Let's see. As I said, it hadn't been decided where the comic would go, which meant that when I took over everything, the rest of the story, the setting, the ways foreshadowing would pay off, the characters' past and futures, was going to be invented by someone with a completely different authorial voice and vision. And what would that bring? Mm. Ellipses, question mark. Well, having just read the final volume, you know know the answer. 
mm-hmm. point is that it's become a manga with a different sensibility than it had at the beginning. Then he says some more, you know, apologetic stuff. And he says, the thing is, this is what I do. I love American action movies of the late 80s, early 2000s from the bottom of my heart. This is the only kind of manga I can draw. And I love the purity. Like, I think mm. drawing comics is so hard that you should almost always only be drawing things that you really, really want to draw if you can help it in like a perfect world, you know, with universal basic <laughs> income and student loan forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that, like, he found a way to do this despite having someone else like launch this series and it still kind of felt cohesive. It felt planned. Like, I think that all of you noticed the switch, but you didn't say that it felt jarring because it was like a skip in the beat. It was just like, oh, it's different now and we're going to keep on moving. And there's something really cool about that happening in the process of making a comic. Because you would think losing a member of a, mm. a creative team would be you know, a disaster for any other book. Yeah. <laughs> it's so wild. Comics are, yeah. There's there's nothing quite like them. Yeah. Like, TV, TV shows don't do this. Like, no. like <laughs> novels don't. Like, <laughs> an album doesn't. Like, just the fact that you can, like, really just kind of switch it up and veer off into wild directions mm-hmm. on a whim is, is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Can I just give a shout out to the monster design here? I think it's yeah. really great. Yeah. It's getting creepy. Yeah. This cover art really grabs you. Like the way that it's just mm-hmm. the design of this character, and there's a mix of like bones and like bandages and ribbons. And like you look at like volume two, page 60, 61, that mm-hmm. moment where the, the creature like swipes the, the surgeon, but mm-hmm. like it's ha- his hand, his arm is not hitting. It's super gross. Arm is just unraveled enough so that it doesn't kill the surgeon, but it just hits him. That's yeah. really, really smart. And then the mm-hmm. the lovingly the detail in which the, the bandages are like spinning and you know debris is spinning off. It's very kinetic. And all of the covers are a, like a I guess key art of all the different monsters in the series. Like each person's IBM is a little bit different, and mm-hmm. the covers end up being really good. Kind of when you see them all arrayed together, Volume Seventeen has all the covers in kind of a mm. uh, collage. Yeah. Oh, wow. And good monster design really goes a long way. You know, there's the creepy ones. There's like, you know, this one is just a standard, like tough guy monster. But this one can use a gun. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I just have a question. Yeah. So the original writer of this, mm-hmm. did they go on to do anything else after this? Yes, it is called High Rise Invasion. And I also read that on Crunchyroll. And it uh, is immeasurably Oh, really? Worse. He did High Rise yes. Invasion? <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, wow. I was kind of hoping to be like a a bounce back from this. Like, you know what? (laughs) On my own, I can shine as well. No, it was... (laughs) I read a lot of it because it was free. And the best way to explain it is they turned it into an anime on Netflix. And I was like, oh, this anime feels like a leer. Like, this is what it feels like to leer at women. Oh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So this series is about a high school girl who gets teleported to another world. And this world is just all skyscrapers. And there are people in like comedy tragedy masks who are stalking everyone and killing them. There's like swimmer killers, like different gimmicks and that kind of thing. But it's just like panty shot and brother complexes and like tons of violence, which is sort of why I kept up with it before I quit. But just nothing ever pays off and it's way too long. And the Netflix one, I was like, it's like seeing Sin City for the first time and hearing the dialogue. You're like, oh. Okay, this is isn't exactly what I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> Watching the anime, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I don't want to see, you know. <laughs> but it had right. like even the intrigue it had an attempt at intri- intrigue because her brother was in this world too and she was trying to find her brother while navigating this maze. But the intrigue in Ajin I think was much more effective and interesting. I think maybe mm. because it was like a little bit like geopolitical. Yeah, what a time. I was I was waffling on whether to bring that up because it's so much such a worse comic, but <laughs> No, I think that that's really important because it's <laughs> like you're you're saying that and it's like no, it was terrible. And the consensus is both the manga and the anime are terrible, except it got an anime yeah. and the manga and it was reasonably popular like no matter what like it is it is a very polished turd. You know what I mean? Like 
someone is the audience for that. There's a, um, hmm. if you ever dig mm-hmm. deep into the bowels of manga fandom, oh, I don't man. know why anyone <laughs> wants to, but if you do, you will see the list of titles that fans want. Like they, they're like, I can't believe that this important, popular, famous title hasn't been licensed. And you go and you look at the title and you're like, oh, I know why that wasn't licensed. It's got A, B, or C. Like, yeah. why can't people see that? But then something like <laughs> something like the high rise one comes out and you're like, oh, people, this is what some people want. Like, this is the kind of entertainment that is like, you know, there are trashy aspects to what we're reading mm-hmm. now, but it, it's also made it a really high level. There's stuff that's really smart and interesting as well. And it sort of like all goes together and it creates the kind of thing that we enjoy that isn't, you know, art comics. It isn't criterion yeah. as you, uh, as yeah. you said, and there's always another step down. There's always a Sharknado, like a non-ironic Sharknado situation. Is that, and that's, was it Shibuya goldfish? Is that your Sharknado? It's, it's right up there. Shibuya Where goldfish. giant goldfish I, invade Shibuya and eat. Well, <laughs> It's like a low, it's like a low end deal. Mm. What's the one with the two brothers in the bathtub that are going around, and it's what? sort of supposed to be parody, except it's actually. So Tokyo has flooded, and there's two brothers. One is a like a you know an overweight brother who's just wearing Y fronts, like briefs in it, and the other brother, and they're just going around, and it's just like it's a it's a commentary on humanity, except every woman they meet see, happens to be buxom and like treated like shit, and you're like. Oh, this is who the author yeah. is. Got it. Okay. <laughs> like we don't even cover the trash, the real trash manga. Like we don't we don't dip our toes into that for the most part on the show. Even Raw never Hero had a never, lot. Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, never Chris. say never. But <laughs> yeah, but you know, season three. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> season three when everything goes off the rails. Manga explaining after open dark. The smut vowels. <laughs> yeah. My, I guess my last point is that I love violence comics i think it's a great genre but like we're saying lurid sells but there's like good lurid and bad lurid there's like the stuff that makes you feel bad and there's stuff there's stuff that makes you like cheer even though it's maybe like a little bit problematic and i think this lands on mm. the good side while something like high rise mm. invasion is like a little too lewd for me like i'm not ready for that yet <laughs> it's like high rise invasion like zom 100 without the sense of humor yeah all the jokes are terrible yeah, yeah. There's a real fine line in this kind of gross out seinen action manga mm-hmm. between like okay and not okay. And everyone I feel like approaches that line differently. Yeah. And by the way, the series I was talking about is actually called Bathtub Brothers. No relation. Bathtub ni no Tokyo dai. And it's huge in France and Japan, <laughs> actually. Just huge. But it's yeah, it's kind of yeah. gross. Yeah, it's Deb, you've read these manga. I know you <laughs> read the real manga, the trash manga, where you're like, I read a volume one of something and it was gross and I can never go back to it again. Like, we talk about it on Best and Worst Manga every year when you have the panel. Oh, yeah. That's always delightful. Yeah. <laughs> that's it? my favorite part of the panel. <laughs> I love mm. the part where people like screech at it, like, what? How could you say that? <laughs> <laughs> I live for that, man. <laughs> now that we've got a firm fan base for season three, I'm going to throw a wrench in the works by like finding that line of lurid. Because I think that I want my next pick to be Kakegurui, the sexy gambling yes! manga. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> the sexy what? Sorry? Sexy, sexy gambling, gambling manga. manga. Sexy gambling. Wow. Yeah. I like it. It's. We'll see. <laughs> mm. I think you but will. <laughs> I hope so. We'll see. Mm. I'll pray. Are you sure Kakegori over Kaiji? Well, I was gonna say uh, Kaiji's print only at right now. Uh, oh, yeah. Kaiji's print only. We can't no, pick I'm that because I'm in the is, woods. Is in the woods yeah. now. Kakegori <laughs> has like the smut and you know gambling, so I think it'll have a lot of a, appeal for us and our audiences. Our audience. <laughs> There's a lot of so old faces so in Kakegori. Well, gambling is really tough, and when you win, you know. What happens, happens. <laughs> but that has been our conversation about Ajin Demi Human. This is the beginning of season three of Manga Splaining, which is sure to be a wild time. We're going to take a break for an ad, and then we will catch you in a bit. 
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. And we're back is my best Christopher impersonation. He's actually not sitting at his desk right now, so he can't hear me say that. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> oh, he has headphones on. I made a mistake. Uh, yeah, yeah, I heard him. I heard it all. I heard it all. <laughs> so as we have done on our past couple season premieres, we are going to pick books this episode to decide what we're going to inflict mm. on Chip for the next three weeks, I think. So I'm going to start since I'm the host. And that way I get to call on whoever I want after I begin in my most kind and not biased manner. I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but I'm recommending a book called Kakegurui, Compulsive Gambler, Volume 1. It's by Homura Kawamoto and Toru Naomura. And it actually has a gambling consultant whose name escapes me at the moment. But it's set at Hyakao Private Academy, which is like upper, upper, upper crust rich kids, super private school. And this is a school where everything is decided by gambling and not just like, you know, like poker or something like that. There's like Russian roulette. If you want to try it, there's connect Four. anything you can bet on that both parties agree on, you can do, which means that it gets very risky and sexy very quickly, but it's not Mm. actually a sexy manga, despite being pretty lewd. It's one of those like, TNA bikini kind of books, like from the 90s, if you remember Verotic and all that kind of thing. I do, not remember, good I do not remember those. Oh, Please shame. describe them. <laughs> Please describe them to me in detail. I'll send you my private archive. Great. But Kakagurui is fun because it's way over the top. I think the fun of it is really in how far it goes, how absurd and outlandish the characters get for what are really kind of like life threatening bets. You can bet like the entire arc of your life is a valid bet, that kind of thing. So I think it'd be fun to bring to the show and see if it passes muster. Next, I think I want Christopher to explain what he's going to pick. Well, I have made a grave error because as soon as I sat back down again, I realized that the reason you picked Kakaguri, one of the reasons you picked Kakaguri instead of Kaiji, is because there is a digital available and Kaiji doesn't have digital Mm. right now. And the book I was going to pick, which now becomes an impromptu shout out, is Massive, mm. the gay manga anthology edited by Annie She, Chip Kid, and Graham Colbanes, published by Fantagraphics. It's straight up erotica, but it is actually only available in print. And the reason I was going to recommend it is the third printing just came out like last week. It just hit stores. So if you're listening to this April 12th, I think this episode's going live, run out to your store and see if they've still got a copy. It is, you will get carded. It is. <laughs> Firmly 18 plus, but <laughs> because of that, <laughs> firmly, hardly. <laughs> it's because the men are so muscular, <laughs> hardly, <laughs> it's hardly 18 plus. I actually don't have a pick now, so I'm going to defer wow. for the first time in manga explaining history to Deb and just... Chris just doesn't have enough knowledge of manga to recommend a manga. Deb? I think yeah. Chip just surpassed Chris. Deb? Yeah. Oh. oh Deb, no. what's your pick? What's your pick? Okay, this was a tough one. But I think we really need to remedy our shoujo, lack of shoujo content here. Mm. Also, right after this, we're going to be reading two extremely smutty titles. So <laughs> I want to dial it back a little bit. <laughs> oh, wow. Now you started the Cold War. <laughs> Good old dial it back Deb here. Jeez. Well, okay. So... <laughs> Oh, I'm so torn because like I had two picks, and now I'm wondering whether one would be a better segue. Well, Chris doesn't have a pick, so we could just do your do two for you. Yeah, maybe I'll pick <laughs> your pick. Go. What, what's what are your two okay. picks? Oh, it's called my love mix up. <laughs> mm. Okay, so my love mix up is kind of a nice little segue after all the smutty boys love we've had. It's set in a high school, like a lot of shoujo manga is set in high school. There's a boy who sits next to a girl, and he's got a crush on this girl. 
girl drops her eraser. The guy in the front of the, the first boy picks up the eraser and it has his name on it. So he thinks the boy in front thinks that the boy who sits in back of him has a crush on him. <laughs> it's the girls, it's the girls eraser. So at least it's this kind of mix up. Mm-hmm. And then as the story unfolds, we find that the boy in front actually kind of likes the boy who sits in back of him. And then they're just kind of like all going in circle around each other. And then we get to volume two. And then we find out the girl's actually in love with someone completely different. <laughs> through another mix up. Mm. So anyway, it's really <laughs> adorable. It's kind of, it's kind of proto boys love, but not quite. And it's, it kind of, it's just laugh out loud. Hilarious. It's so funny and cute. Yeah. It's done by the person who did a manga called um, my love story, which was about a super burly oh. guy who falls in love with a, a, a very shy girl. So yeah, that t- was great. Oh, my love story is my great? favorite. I was actually hoping that was the one you were going to recommend because I <laughs> love that one so much. I I may do it sometime, but I love this this woman's this creator's shoujo manga because it's really funny and clever. Mm-hmm. And I I think this one is kind of a fun take after reading Birds of Shangri La and Dick Fight Island. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm I'm kind of disappointed that you just didn't keep ramping it up. I could. <laughs> I like picturing you just like. I tried, uh, but it's not available. I like picturing digitally. Deb every week. Just, it's just getting smuttier and more intense until like our final episode where we ask her for recommendation and she just like flicks a cigarette and goes, let's all fuck each other. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she could see the future coming and was like, I should put a stop to this now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, and it really can go further, by the way. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I love it. So we've got gambling manga and we've got a love mix up manga. Chris, do you. Yeah, I'm just checking to make sure that there's digital before I mess this up. (laughs) An expert would know. It's true. So I got to say something slightly controversial here. I actually recommended a book called What Did You Eat Yesterday by Fumio Shinaga. And I recommended it. Back, at, I think it was the first, first or second book I recommended back in season one, and it was when we were letting Chip pick, and that was a mistake. Clearly, <laughs> I was going to go back and recommend it again, but I realized that I love that series so much, but there are problems with it around the translation in the early volumes, especially that don't make it the best introduction to Fumi Oshinaga's work. I actually already loved her work when I came to it, and this is like a story of real gay people having a relationship one of them is closeted and works at a high like as an attorney the other is very out and flamboyant and works as a hairdresser and they connect over the dinner table every night because one cooks for the other and shows how much he cares even when he can't say it it's a really tender romance that is sort of bl and sort of jose and sort of a bunch of different things but it's comics for people that enjoy comics but just those early volumes i think would have so many problems that it might be hard if you don't already love fumio shinaga like i do so I went to check and see what was actually in, in, available and in print and, and available in digital from Fumio Shinaga. And I think the best choice right now without dipping into the DMP pool, which I am never going to do, is a book called All My Darling Daughters. And it is a short story collection by Fumio Shinaga published by Viz Media. That's just really good. It just shows how good she is as a creator at short stories. She works in Seinen, she works in Jose, she works in Shoujo. I think this one has my favorite short story in it. I can't remember. It's been, it came out in 2010. So it's been 13 years or 12 years since I read it. But you know what? I have it on my shelf. I own it. I I own it in digital as well. I just looked it up while we were all talking. So I want to recommend All My Darling Darling Daughters by Fumio Shinaga. It's a one volume. It's relatively short. Mm. And it's a really good short story collection that is so far from what's current and what's being talked about right now that it will kill all of the momentum that David <laughs> is trying to build by recommending a hot series like Hakiguri. <laughs> so it's perfect. It's like, we're not selling out. We're we're going into the back issue bins for this one. So that's that's my pick this week is all my okay. All right. That's up to me to pick order. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a hard one. I think I want to do the gambling lewd, potentially lewd, <laughs> book first one one thing that wasn't brought up was uh how many volumes is it and how many volumes are we reading we're reading one volume but there are 14 plus a spinoff series at the moment all right okay so one yeah. volume all right 
it's we'll get the gist after one volume like i guarantee yeah I, i'm gonna pick that as my top pick just because it's such a, an interesting idea just the idea of just like everything kind of solved with gambling i haven't seen that in a comic or any media before mm. and uh, as chris just mentioned apparently it's really hot right now so way to go chris <laughs> it's very hot yeah. right now very hot live right action now. series mm-hmm. it's a live action we're gonna drive them away with dick fight island and reel them back in with a popular <laughs> anime we're not gonna it's drive perfect. anyone away dick fight i promise no, dick fight you. Be our <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be a record-setting episode I think it's maybe just going to flip the I audience a little. It. Like certain people will tune in for one. <laughs> we'll gain a bunch of new listeners. Certain people will tune yeah. in for the other. We'll gain. A, it'll be. It'll be good. It'll be good. Second is going to be Deb with my love mix up. The reason it didn't take the top spot is also thanks to Christopher because Christopher said that my love story is his favorite, which made me think, mm. oh, why aren't we reading my love story? <laughs> maybe we so could have love mix up. I, I love that one too. <laughs> Hey, I haven't read. I haven't read my 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 love mix up. Maybe it's better. I don't see how, but right. my love story is so good. But maybe Look, anyways, it's better. My, my love mix up is number two, and Chris comes in at distant third <laughs> because he opened his pitch by going after me, which is just it's just it's just never a, a smart move. Even though I love single volume short stories, I think you'll like right. this one too. But that's fair. You're you're nothing yeah, if not thank fair. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Well, see, now he gets it. <laughs> Get on my good side. <laughs> so we've got Kakagurui, My Love Mix-Up, and All My Darling Daughters to go next. Yep. Yeah. Well, actually, so after this episode, next week, we're doing Birds of Shangri-La from mm-hmm. Sublime. The week after that, we were doing 800 pages of Ping Pong Jeez. from Viz Media. The week after that, we're doing Dick Fight Island Volume 1 from Sublime. Oh, this is a lot of, wow, there's a lot of biz. <laughs> Kakaguri Volume 1 by Yen Press, My Love Mix-Up Volume 1, and All My Darling Daughters by Viz Media as well. Wow. So, yeah, we're going to have to, that'll be the last Viz book for the season, and it'll be everything else afterwards, I guess, because that's, we... Can you, that's sorry, can you, remind, can you remind me again, is Birds of Shangri-La, is that an explainer manga about birds and the types of birds? Sort of. Okay, great. <laughs> All right, so, I like to learn. As long I like as perfum- birds is a euphemism, then yes, it is. All right. <laughs> it's about the care and feeding of birds. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. And there's lots wow. of animal husbandry. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to be such a good episode. I'm, I'm excited for, for our, our Dick Fight Island Kakagurui back-to-back. could be pretty fun. Okay. Oh, That'll nice. be fun. Nice. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I got Dick Fight Island Volume 2 the other day in the mail. Mm-hmm. I, within eight pages, I was laughing out loud. <laughs> it's wow. so good it's so funny <laughs> so all right so mm. stay tuned dear listeners and we will tell you all about dick fight island and the various tactics involving birds and birds of shangri-la next week <laughs> <laughs> we will catch you later thanks for listening This has been Manga Explaining, Episode 57, Ajin Demihuman, Volume 1, by Gamon Sakurai and Tsuina Miura. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing Birds of Shangri-La by Ranmaru Zarya. This one is uh, pretty explicit, let's say. Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop by checking to see if they have a copy. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com. You could check out your local library for print and digital lending options as well. And on top of that, you can even buy directly from the publisher at sublimemanga.com. You can follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com. And don't forget to check out our newsletter and publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. 
depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.